Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Warning, you're about to enter the arena and join the battle to save America with your host, Sean Parnell. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Battleground Live. Uh, It has been a crazy day and an even crazier weekend. Uh, First, you know, obviously, there's tons of stuff to talk about, but I wanted to apologize to you all about Friday. That is completely on me. Um, usually Brock is, is he helps me out and volunteers his time to teach coach and mentor me about how to do a show. And he, he was integral along with Wendy Bell and, and me getting this show started in the first place and, uh, moved, just started doing the show independently and then went to red voice and then back to Brock. And I had a bunch of producers that could usually fill in for me and help me, uh, you know, dot, dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But on, on Friday, couldn't find somebody, but ultimately it's completely on me. It's, it's not their responsibility to do that stuff. This show is my responsibility. Um, and I just didn't know the technology. <laughs> I'm not, not, I'm not super smart with tech. And so, uh, Brock spent, uh, a not insignificant amount of time today, uh, training me on how to do it. So this won't happen again. There will be no more missed shows. And I have to say, and I know that Commander Melanie can attest to this, and I, along with my father, because he was over this weekend helping me install this pellet stove, which is a whole nother problem that I've been having. Um, but it, I felt horrible. It really, uh, it really bothered me that I let you all down. Um, ultimately, I, I look forward to doing the show uh, all day. I, I enjoy it. And uh, when I can't be there for you all, it, it's, it's upsetting to me. And I, I actually like talking to you all in the chat as well. So uh, so that won't happen again. And then on to today, we talk about, you know, free speech and we discuss on Battleground Live stories that the media often doesn't touch with a 10 foot pole. Um, and one of the issues that we had today in preparing for the show was that Rumble all weekend long, but especially today, has been under just an unprecedented uh, attack, a cyber attack. and 
for almost the entirety of the day, it was intermittent. When I tried to get on Wendy Bell's show this morning, uh, I couldn't. Um, and uh, Brock had told me that if you weren't on the app at the beginning of the show, or you weren't watching it at the beginning of the show, it was tough to get in. And, um, yeah, it was just because rumble was, was down and under attack and it spent most of the day, uh, completely down. But, you know, when you talk about freedom of speech, uh, isn't it interesting that Alex Jones gets added back to Twitter or X Elon Musk brings him back, which I have never really watched Alex Jones. Um, he is, you know, admittedly, I've always thought he was like, ah, he's a little bit crazy, but he's also entertaining and really funny. And I, I don't take things that he says a hundred percent seriously. Uh, but he has been right about so many things, especially looking at it in things in, in retrospect, right? Again, we've talked about many, many times in the show about what it's like having the scales removed from your eyes. And seeing things for as they really, truly are and questioning everything that's put out there to us, questioning uh, what people say on the media, questioning the media narrative, questioning both narratives from both political parties, Republicans and Democrats. I mean, this show, I mean, it's a conservative show, of course, but if you've paid any attention to the things that I've been talking about over the last few months since we've been doing it is that I don't trust Republicans or Democrats. I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution. That's why I do what I do. I love this country. I want to see it last for our children. Uh, but clearly, things in this country have not been the same since Trump was in office, certainly since 2020 and the disastrous election and the COVID pandemic and the lockdowns. But ever since then, I like to say that those experiences, as well as running for office myself and having my name on the ballot and meeting these a lot of these politicians in person that we see on TV every day and then trying to raise money to run an effective campaign, that whole process removed the scales from my eyes. And I feel like I see things very clearly. And so back to Alec Jones, Alex Jones has been, you know, as I was a kid in my 20s watching Alec Jones talk about the new world order and globalists and everything else. I thought this guy is crazy. But now, listening today with big eyes, big ears, again, the scales removed from my eyes, you know, I hear him talking about, you know, the new world order, as he likes to say, about 20 some years ago, and him talking about central bank digital currency and about knocking America down a peg so that the globalists can take over. And you look at what's all, all what's happening uh, with the World Economic Forum. Um, and again, you talk about social credit scores. Alex Jones talked about all of this stuff. Now, of course, you know, it doesn't mean just because we acknowledge the, the right things that he says, you know, 20 some years ago, uh, doesn't mean that everything he says is right. But hey, listen, since when did we become a culture where we have to be right about things all the time? I was talking to my father and I was talking to, to Melanie about this this weekend, but it's almost it's so discouraged in today's day and age to think for yourself to think outside the narrative, that oftentimes we find ourselves not speaking up or saying things because you think, oh, well, I don't know how that's going to be accepted out there. And I found myself certainly a long time ago, that's that's how I operated. Uh, but even today, even with the scales removed from my eyes, I still think, well, boy, I don't know how people would, what, what would people think if I said this? Or, or I can't talk about this, you know? I mean, it hasn't, you know, people will call me a conspiracy theorist. 
I mean, I think about this and I do a show every single day and I'm a public figure and I go on the news and talk about stuff. And you'd think that even today, after having all those the scales removed from my eyes and seeing things for for the way that they really, truly are, that even I wouldn't operate like this. Um, but I do. And I think that my experience is is fairly typical. And so I always try to remember, you know, thinking about Marcus Aurelius, uh, who is a, a, a Roman emperor um, and a famous Stoic. Um, I just think like he says, speak every day as if it were, and this, I'm, of course, paraphrasing. I'm not obviously a Roman philosopher, so I don't know <laughs> a lot of these lines. Uh, I don't know them as perfect quotations, but he's, he basically says, speak every day as if you knew it was your last on this earth as it would be the last time that you had to actually say the true things that you meant in your heart of hearts. Uh, don't be afraid to speak your mind. And, and that's, that's how I try to operate. But there are folks we talk about on this show, there really truly is a war between good and evil in this, in this world. Uh, th there are lots of people in this world that would have you believe that evil does not exist. And if you're Catholic, I'm a Catholic, uh, um, you know, Satan believes that he would, he would love to convince all of humanity, uh, to convince all of humanity that he didn't exist. <laughs> you know, you hear people talk about that in organized religion all the time, but there are people out there that, that, that don't believe in good and evil that, that have no faith in anything greater than themselves. And, and that worries me because there is a spiritual fight in this world today. And, and I've said many times on this show, I, I think ground zero for that fight is, is right here in America because America represents the freest and most exceptional country on the face of the planet. You know, yes, of course we have our flaws. Yes, of course we've made our mistakes in the past. Me saying that doesn't mean that I don't acknowledge those mistakes. Of course I do. Um, but this country is and always has been the brightest beacon of freedom in the world. Even though I believe that the the flame of freedom is diminishing year after year and, and dwindling fast. I still believe it. And because I believe it and because this country really truly is the embodiment of that greatness, I think the ground zero for that fight, the front lines for that fight between good and evil and that spiritual war happening right here in this country. And I look at everything that's happening in the context of these cyber attacks and everything that America is experiencing uh, with Biden at the helm. I, all of this stuff happens for a reason. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that here you have Alex Jones back on Twitter for the first time. He did a fir his first interview on Rumble with Steven Crowder today, uh, and all of a sudden Rumble gets attacked and, and a cyber attack, the likes of which they haven't experienced, I don't think, since their existence. And I've also heard rumblings, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, from Chris Pavlovsky, who I think is the CEO of Rumble, and a couple other people. Uh, who host shows exclusively on Rumble, like me, um, that that the attacks on Rumble this that that are happening now are political in nature and have to do with their coverage or content creators' coverage on Rumble about January sixth. And as many of you all know, um, we have not shied away from January sixth at all. We have not shied away from speaking out about the government narrative that's been force fed to all of us. In fact, we've 
we've locked horns with the radical Democrats and the mainstream media many, many times here on this show. And so, by the way, it's not just me. Uh, many other content creators on Rumble have done the same thing. And if some of these you know, independent content creators on Rumble, like Viva Free, he's, he's somebody uh, who had mentioned that he believed that the attack was political in nature, having to do with January 6th saying it's a historic unprecedented attack and everything else. Um, if what these people are saying is true, and I believe it is, then it, there are some very, very powerful forces out there trying to shape the information that we have access to. And we have to approach that. We have to push back against that with the same vigor, with the same intensity, with the same passion that these forces out there are trying to use against us. We don't have an option, folks. We have to push back because uh, freedom of speech is everything in this country. It's not you know, what the government would like and what the Democrats would like. And I'm not certainly not lumping all Democrats into this. I'm not. Um, the Democrat Party has changed. I mean, I've said often that this isn't your grandfather's Democratic Party anymore. The new Democrats, they don't want you to know the truth. They don't want you to have the truth. They lie, they cheat, they steal. If you don't believe me, look at look at what they're doing to women's sports. They are fine with a man pretending to be a woman competing in, in a women's sports league against women. Look at what the Democrats do in their own primaries. They rig their own primary elections. In general elections, in areas that they control, uh, it stands to reason then that, that if they would, of course, cheat in generals as well. That's what they do. The Democrat Party, the new Democrat Party, they are, the, they are projection personified. I say on the show, the golden rule is anything that the Democrats are accusing Republicans of, they themselves are guilty of. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that anything that the Democrats are saying just assume that the opposite is true. And so I, that's why I just think we can't afford to stay silent anymore. And so one of the things that we've done is try to have a backup to, to Rumble, just in case Rumble gets under attack. You know, I missed my show on Friday because of me, you know. Um, but then we were in danger of actually not having a backup platform to stream. And so if Rumble went down. So uh, for now, you can catch the show on my public Facebook page. I've got two Facebook pages. I've got a private one that I don't really use, um, but I've got a public page as well. So if you're watching Battleground Live from there for the first time, we're streaming to my public Facebook page uh, while we still can anyway, because I imagine that we'll probably get banned on Facebook pretty, <laughs> pretty quickly, just like we did on YouTube. And I wasn't even saying anything crazy on YouTube. I just had Carrie Lake on my podcast uh, when I was down in Washington, D.C. YouTube didn't like that, censored and completely nuked my channel. Uh, but for now, we are streaming on Facebook. Uh, I think Brock, Brockstar, my producer extraordinaire, is also streaming to his private Facebook page. Uh, and, and tomorrow I'm going to learn about streaming on my getter page, maybe on Twitter, uh, maybe other places as well. So just in case rumble goes down, we have a place that we can engage. So no show slips through the cracks. And so, um, there, that's all that I got to say about that. Uh, but first let me, let me say as well, I want to thank Deepwell services and I want to thank Cabot for being the founding sponsor of this program. Uh, this would not be possible without those two great American companies. And 
I would be remiss if I did not thank them because they have stood by me through this entire crazy, tumultuous year. And the reason that that matters is because we should we should especially thank people who look out for us, right? Um, that's unbelievably important. But we should also celebrate people. We should also celebrate people who stand by us when times aren't that great. And, uh, you know, since I've been out of the Senate race, it's kind of been up and down for me. Lots of lots of great highs and victories and lots of lows. Um, And I've taught you all about that uh, in depth over the past couple of months. Um, But these two companies stood by me. And I think that speaks volumes of the, the character and the culture of these great American companies. So Okay, that was a lot. What have we, what have we been doing? 15 minutes on that. <laughs> Jesus, 45 minutes of the show left. Talk for 15 minutes right off the top about all this stuff. Um, if you made it into the first 15 minutes of the show, make sure that you like and rumble, like and rumble, like and rumble. That matters. The people at Rumble notice that. Advertisers notice that. The more advertisers we get, the better we can make this show. So like and rumble, it's that little green thumb beneath this video right beneath the video uh that matters a lot um and tell your family tell your friends to subscribe to this program i mean this show is a grassroots show it is and will always be for you um and again we cover the things that the media doesn't typically cover and so because that's often where the stories are so anyways let me just get right into the news here okay so trump announced uh today that he's not going to be testifying in in this fraud trial, and I'm using the term fraud in quotations, because uh, there's this is a victimless event. You know, Melanie told me, and, and I think I think Melanie told me this past weekend that you know, Sean. Sometimes you know, I just get in the show and I just I just go. I just black out and I just talk. <laughs> Which, by the way, people weren't necessarily. Uh, too thrilled about that on the campaign trail when I would do interviews and and my consultants or my campaign manager, I, Andrew Bry, who I, I don't know if he's listening or not, but he's he's an incredible campaign manager. He'd be like, you did a good job. I'd be like, well, I don't even remember what the hell I said. So I hope so. <laughs> it kind of makes people on your campaign, makes their heart skip a beat. Um, but sometimes I kind of just I just go. Um, but if you look at what's happening here with with this this Trump stuff. I, Melanie told me this weekend that I, I, I've said over and over again, it's a victimless crime. That implies that it's a crime. No, there's not a crime. There was no crime committed at all. In fact, all of the banks that have done business with Trump have come forth and testified in that trial in front of Judge uh, Engoron and said, look, we loved having President Trump's business. We we didn't actually use the valuation sheets. We knew he was going to be good uh, good for the money. We knew he was going to repay the loans with interest, and Trump did. So there's no victim whatsoever. There's no fraud perpetrated on anybody. And of course, Letitia James, the corrupt attorney general who's pushing this farce on President Trump and trying to go after his family on this, uh, she's trying to continue to keep the gag order imposed on President Trump so he can't even defend himself or none of his surrogates either can defend President Trump in this trial. While simultaneously, Letitia James is out there on the daily, on Twitter, uh, talking about this case in a very public way, saying in no uncertain terms before 
before the case is even over, that Trump did commit fraud, that he lied about his businesses and the worth of his properties to inflate his overall. That's all BS. That's all nonsense. So I reject this. To me, it just calls into question this entire unconstitutional farce uh, of this trial. But it's just here, here you have a situation where Letitia James can go out and bash Trump 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She can post on social media. She can push fake narratives. But no one on the on the Trump team, not President Trump, not his sons, not his attorneys can speak can speak publicly about this. It's it's unbelievable to me. What's more is that judging Goron, his clerk, his assistant, like all judges have these clerks that help them write opinions and, and read all the documents that pertain to specific court cases. His clerk is a rabid Democrat, has a professional relationship with Chuck Schumer, has been photographed with him multiple times, has given to contributed checks, given money to radical Democrat groups, which, by the way, is prohibited. If you are a, an officer of the court in any way, you're not allowed to do that. What this she has. You add to that the judge and Goran's wife has been outed now as a rabid Trump hater has been posted all sorts of negative stuff about President Trump on social media, specifically Twitter, which is now X. All of this calls into question judging Goron's impartiality. I mean, honest, honest to God, like he's a registered Democrat. We know he's a hack. He's also kind of creepy. You remember we covered right here on the show him posting shirtless selfies on on these newsletters that he sends out. Uh, to I think I can't remember his high, high school newsletter, college newsletter. I don't know. It's pretty damn creepy. Nevertheless, he's a rabid Democrat. His wife is a rabid Democrat who's outspoken in her hatred about President Trump. His clerk is a radical Democrat who's been photographed with Chuck Schumer, given her, her own personal money to Democrat groups. All of this calls into question the legitimacy of, of this, the legitimacy of this trial. It's obviously a complete farce. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that you know, how is this justice at all? When will real justice be served? I mean, how will these I mean, these are these are these are elected and appointed officials. But at some point, there has to be some level of accountability. And I hope when President Trump is is sworn into office when he wins, that there is some level of accountability. And I know that the media is running with this narrative that Trump is, is literally Hitler. Oh, my God, he promised to be a dictator on day one. How could he possibly do that? Well, the truth is, is that there are entrenched bureaucrats, you can call them the deep state, who are political appointees or they're employees of the government who are supposed to have loyalty to an elected president, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. If you work for the government, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. It's You have a duty and an obligation to support the agenda of the president of the United States. doesn't matter what political party he's in. Clearly, those unelected bureaucrats worked against President Trump on, the day, on a daily basis. And if that happened, you know, for the sake, a good example of this is that even in the Biden administration, you have 400 or so employees or bureaucrats or Biden staffers speaking out about Joe Biden's policy as it pertains to Israel, saying that, oh, he, he should he, he should support a ceasefire. He's doing the wrong thing. Well, even those people, listen, 
I had, on this show, I have the courage to be intellectually honest. Fire those people too. This country, uh, we did not elect. I mean, I would I'll argue that we didn't elect Joe Biden either, but the reality is he's sitting in the White House. But as it pertains to entrenched bureaucrats or the deep state, we didn't elect them. It's not their job to thwart the presidency, the president of the United States agenda at all. And so at some point, there has to be accountability. And so I hope that Trump gets in office. I hope that he holds people accountable. I hope that he does what uh, uh, President uh, Mele down in, I think, Argentina or right. We was down in Argentina. I can't remember uh, where he was elected. I don't have my notes in front of me, um, but I hope he does. President Trump does exactly what he does. I think President Mele, Mele cut uh, of 21 federal bureaucracies. I think he cut them down to nine. I mean, that's precisely how we save this country. The federal government has gotten out of control. The federal government is is not necessarily been a force for good, especially as it pertains to the 2020 election and, of course, COVID. I mean, all of these entrenched bureaucrats hurt this country, regardless of who's in office. So I hope that some of these people are, are, are brought to heel when, when Trump wins. And speaking of when Trump is winning, there are all sorts of polls out of Iowa and the morning console poll this morning that just have Trump absolutely crushing it. I mean, there's the morning console poll. It came out. Uh, it was it was it was the most recent poll that was just released. Republican primary state uh, polling in 26 states. I mean, let's listen to this Iowa. And by the way, Iowa is important because that caucus is in 35 days. But Trump at 50 and DeSantis at 18, Ramaswamy at 13, Haley at 11. So there's all these people out there in the post debate after the Haley debate saying that Haley was surging, according to the morning consult poll. Uh, absolutely not true. And then you have Florida. And this is this is why this is important, by the way. Florida is DeSantis's home state. So Trump at 60, uh, DeSantis at 23. Here you have Trump up 37 points against Ron DeSantis, who is a governor of Florida uh, and a statewide elected official beating him in his home state. So let's just jump ahead to South Carolina. I'm not going to cover all these all these states because the, <laughs> there's a pattern here and Trump is up big in all of them. But South Carolina. Trump 57, Haley 19, DeSantis 13. So Haley was also a statewide elected official in South Carolina. And Trump is beating Nikki Haley by a larger margin that Trump is beating Florida, uh, beating Ron DeSantis in Florida. Uh, Trump is up 38 points in South Carolina on Nikki Haley. And Trump is up 37 points on Ron DeSantis in Florida. Now, folks, there should be a rule that if you are a statewide elected official, and, and you are losing your own state. You are losing your own state where you are or have at one time been a statewide elected official. By this significant of a margin, there should be a rule in Republican primaries that says you should just drop out. Because if DeSantis and Nikki Haley, this narrative that the polls are wrong. And by the way, I debated Tommy Lahren on her show last week about this because she said to me, you know, I don't care about polls. I don't care about polls. DeSantis visited all 99 counties. He's got the uh, he's got the endorsement in Iowa of Governor Kim Reynolds, the most popular elected official in the country, which, by the way, is, is, is not is not true. Uh, polls actually show now uh, that she's one of the least popular governors in the country. I don't know. I, I don't I've never met her before. I can't I can't attest to her personal character. I'm sure she's a very nice person and she's done a good good job for the people of Iowa. Um, but but the reality is, is that, look, th th 
the narrative is about saying, oh, the polls are bogus. DeSantis has a shot. And the reason why surrogates do this is because these candidates still need to raise money. They still need to get interviews on the media. And if they're not seen as competitive, as getting shellacked by, in this case, President Trump, it makes it far more difficult to raise money. Uh, nobody wants to give money to a candidate who's losing. It's this tantamount to burning your, you know, throwing your money in a, in a fire pit or something like that. You might as well set it on fire. Uh, and, and also, it's harder to get interviews on TV because the people think that the race isn't competitive. So surrogates have to go out there and discredit the polls. They have to discredit the system. They have to discredit the process. But the reality is that Trump is winning. Um, and there's a poll that came out today. Oh, gosh, can't have so many polls that come out. It's hard to keep track. But had him winning uh, by 10 points in Michigan. I, I texted the People's Pundit immediately and said, you know, I'm not sure that this is believable. 10 points in Michigan seems ridiculous. It seems really high. And and he said, yeah. I mean, oh, it was a CNN poll. Uh, and, and Savage Rich said, yeah, uh, my poll had Trump up in Michigan by five. And he thought that was elevated. But the CNN poll was brutal for, for Biden. And so Trump is winning. The deep state knows he's winning. Our intelligence agencies know that he's winning. And, and that's going to lead me into, that's going to be the theme sort of of this show. I've said multiple times, they've tried to destroy Trump on multiple fronts. They tried to destroy him with hoaxes. They tried to destroy him with impeachments. They tried to use January 6th to destroy his legacy. They tried to do that through the January 6th committee. Now they're trying to throw him in jail. They're trying to remove him from the ballot. Uh, the Democrats are desperate to replace Joe Biden. Looks like Joe Biden's not going anywhere. If if where to take people's words at face value, Joe Biden has said multiple times he has no, no plans to step down. So Democrats are in, it's a five alarm fire for them. It's a five alarm fire for anybody who opposes President Trump. And it just seems as time has gone on that President Trump has gotten more popular in the Republican Party. So this narrative that, oh, my gosh, all of these indictments are going to hurt President Trump, the more Americans learn about these indictments and the fact pattern set within them. Uh, it's not it hasn't it hasn't held up. I mean, listen, folks, the more people learn about this, and this is also reflected with independence as well. And people who didn't necessarily vote are non-traditional voters. They the more they see of this, the more they don't like it. The more it entrenches their support for President Trump. So, so all of that is to say that that Trump is is on a glide path to win the primary. Of course, we'll see. If I'm wrong about something in 35 days in Iowa, we will know because that's the first Republican caucus, and the first Republican con uh, contest. I don't think that I'm wrong though, and so. Um, I wanted to talk about that real quick. Also, I saw something that on Friday that I was desperate to talk with you all about. And it, look, this is really important. Um, this is really, really important. Uh, but Petraeus, who David Petraeus, who, by the way, I, I, I have met David Petraeus a couple of times. I think that I, I have high regard for Petraeus. I think he's extremely, extremely smart, maybe be too smart for his own good, uh, which is, you know, some of these folks in government or have spent some of these folks who have spent their entire career in government or have been generals for 30, 40 years, sometimes they get so attached to an idea or a strategy that it's difficult to see outside of that. And, and as it pertains to that one very specific strategy, not only are they the smartest person in the room, they're probably the smartest person in the world. Uh, but the reality is, is that it also that relationship with the reality that they've created. 
especially as it pertains to foreign policy, national security, or military strategy, it, it can it can set us on a collision course with disaster. And of course, talk often on this show about Iraq, Afghanistan. What do we have to show for it? Uh, these regime change war, these regime change wars in Libya by removing Muammar Gaddafi or toppling autocrats in Egypt or trying to topple uh, Assad in Syria. Of course, we saw the disaster of toppling Saddam Hussein in Iraq and the disaster of surrender in Afghanistan. We have less than nothing to show for it. But this article, which is in the Military Times, says Petraeus says Israel should try U.S. style counterinsurgency in Gaza. Folks, this is what people call coin operations, counterinsurgency, C-O-I-N. I have a very, very, very unique perspective on this, folks. I, When I was in Afghanistan in 2006, our mission was to find Osama bin Laden, close with and destroy the enemy. That was it. Kill as many bad guys as, as, as we possibly could. And in doing so, through killing the enemy, we thereby secure the people of Afghanistan so that they could grow and they could prosper. And I'm telling you, folks, we implemented that mission to great effect. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is a way that you can kill your way to victory, especially in war. And I know that sounds like a little rough around the edges. I get it. I, I But we're talking about combat here. We're talking about fighting and war and winning. And you do that through attrition. And the reality was, is in Afghanistan, we did it so well that we were getting intelligence from terror cells in Pakistan, Al-Qaeda, Haqqani, Hekmadiar. These are all like, these are jihadist mafias in Eastern Afghanistan and in Pakistan that were saying they had suffered so many casualties that, that their backs were effectively broken, that they could not continue the fight, that they were not going to recruit any more of their sons to fight against us because it was over. The Americans had won. That is the intelligence we were getting. No, it was not intelligence that was filtered down to us from higher. It's what I was hearing on the battlefield. Some of the most dangerous people on the face of the planet, some of the most dangerous terrorist groups that we fought had suffered losses so great that they weren't willing to commit their sons to the fight. That was significant. I would even go so far as to say that at the tail end of 2006 and 2007, the, the the war, the combat portion of the war, the kinetic portion, if you want to use an operational term, operational term, the war was won. And for whatever reason, between George W. Bush and Barack Obama, we shifted our strategy and we went from counter terror to what you call counterinsurgency. And I've, I don't know if I've told you all this before, this this quick story, but I was only supposed to be in Afghanistan for a year. Uh, 12 months, which is a very long time as it is, uh, with only a two-week break, two-week break for what they call rest and relaxation, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> like as if two weeks is enough for that, um, especially <laughs> with the kind of combat that we were in. But the day before we were supposed to go home, now all of my soldiers had already made it home or were in various stages of going home. So they weren't even on my base. I was like me and my platoon sergeant and a couple of other members from my company that had remained behind on the base to train the next unit. Uh, so it was just me. But we were we were extended the day before I was supposed to go home. Now, again, my soldiers had already made it home or were in Germany. And, and again, in various stages of redeployment. I mean, it was it was devastating. 
it was devastating to to people's psychology. It it ended people's marriages. It caused people to go bankrupt. They had to literally send the military police to soldiers' homes to put them back on airplanes and send them back to Afghanistan after they had already made it home safe, where they would then have to go through another spring offensive, which was a really, really tough time in eastern Afghanistan. And this was right at this. So this is when we switched strategies and as if it was bad enough these guys are already in a, a really difficult frame of mind which by the way my soldiers and other soldiers who had to deal with that they dealt with it like consummate professionals they were incredible they were amazing i mean these are america's sons and daughters these weren't navy seals these weren't special operations guys these were tr- conventional light infantry the job that many of these folks had before joining the army was high school shortstop. So it's not like, I mean, yes, we got lots of really cool, sexy training, but these were just kids and they handled themselves. They acquitted themselves with honor, but we shifted our strategy right in the middle of that. And so it wasn't exactly like it was an opportune time for any of us. And we went to counterinsurgency uh, and basically the counterinsurgency strategy is essentially winning hearts and minds. I mean, I know you've heard that phrase in Iraq, uh, but the reason why we were extended is because General Petraeus implemented the surge. I'm sure you've heard the surge in Iraq. We implemented this strategy in Iraq, and it uh, required the U.S. to win hearts and minds. And in order to do that, we had to have soldiers in every village, in every city, uh, outposts all over the place. And so we sent literally almost every remaining active duty American soldier to Iraq to make that happen. The reason why my unit in Afghanistan at the time, where, by the way, the main effort was, this is where we were trying to find the guy who attacked us, Osama bin Laden. But my unit in Afghanistan, the reason why we were extended is because there was no one left to replace us. No joke. It's probably one of the only times this has happened. Certainly one of the only times in the global war on terror. I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's happened in other wars. I, I just don't know when. It's, it's an extraordinarily rare situation where we just did not have, the U.S. military did not have the combat power to replace us in Afghanistan. And essentially, we set out to begin in this counterinsurgency strategy. And basically, that meant winning hearts and mind, being in every village, and we build these little combat outposts. So we built these combat outposts away from our base all along the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And I mean, obviously, you're in the mountains. It's a subset of the, Hin- the Hindu Kush mountains, which are a subset of the Himalayas. So even in the valley, you're at 14,000 feet. On some of the peaks, you're you're, you're, you're even higher than that. You're, you're auctioned and deprived at, at all times. But we're building these combat outposts all along the border in this mountainous border region. And on a map, that stuff looks great. Hey, look at this line of bases that we've got all along the border. Almost like the Maginot line in France during World War II. But you don't have to be a military genius to know that what looks good on a map doesn't necessarily work in execution, right? And so, but this was counterinsurgency. And all the while, even my 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 junior enlisted soldiers was like, sir, this is stupid. This isn't going to work. Of course, this isn't going to work. And of course, they were right because we would build these outposts, right? And we would spread ourselves so, so thin that we didn't have the combat power to actually go out on patrol. We didn't have the combat power to actually, you know, hunt Osama bin Laden or the people who were responsible for attacking us with terrorists or whatever our mission was as the United States Army Infantry. 
we didn't have the combat power to execute that mission. So we just sat in these bases. And what the enemy would do is say, okay, there's a base in a static position. I'm just going to walk one ridge line over and penetrate into the heart of Afghanistan. And therein, that, that folks, is how Afghanistan collapsed as fast as it did. After 20 years of fighting, that's how Afghanistan was able to topple in mere weeks because we implemented this counterinsurgency strategy for years. And what they tried in Iraq, to some effect, I mean, it was it, it was relatively effective in Iraq, but the reason why it, it, it was even halfway effective, and I would argue it's not effective at all, I mean, but even it, from a tactical standpoint, it did serve to diminish attacks on American troops for a time because you were just saturated all over the country. But counterinsurgency operations requires an actual host nation. And, and to be a host nation, there are baseline requirements. You have to have an economy. You have to have a sense of nationalism. You have to have a government. It doesn't have to be a Jeffersonian democracy, but you have to have a military. You have to have a police force. You have to have people who just have pride in being and say an Iraqi. And there, you know, that was kind of there in Iraq and Afghanistan. No way. Afghanistan can barely be construed as a country, let alone a country that is effective of hosting another. So my point is they tried to implement the exact same strategy. They cookie cuttered it from Iraq to Afghanistan, and we completely lost the initiative. And every year on the year, you saw an American outpost on the news getting overrun by uh, the enemy forces that were just out in the middle of nowhere. And it was just an abject disaster. We lost Afghanistan because that's that, that strategy. Um, and now I see here General Petraeus, who's a man that I respect, talking about the same strategy in Gaza, saying Israel should do that, which essentially, as I just told you, it's not an effective strategy, especially as it pertains to asymmetric terror threats. But this is just an excerpt from this article. Um, this is from General Petraeus. He says, you have, to, you have to therefore destroy them, Petraeus said. Israel cannot allow Hamas to reconstitute as a militant group, and it also must dismantle the group's political wing, he argued, adding that military force alone won't accomplish the goal. But there are some big ideas missing, Petraeus said. You can't kill or capture your way out of an industrial strength insurgency. The Hamas challenge echoes what U.S. forces faced in Iraq, and Israel should take a similar approach, he said. The campaign should be a counterinsurgency campaign, Petraeus said. Don't clear and go on. Clear, hold, and build. So obviously, this is a man. So General Petraeus was. Uh, the CENTCOM commander, one of the highest ranking generals in charge of Iraq, in charge of Afghanistan, in charge of both theater of, of operations. Then he went on to be the director of the CIA. This man still advises people in the House and the Senate, and I'm sure still advises uh, Republican Democrat presidents. Um, here he is saying that Israel should implement this strategy. Is Israel, I'm telling you, they don't have the combat power to do this one. So it means the U.S. or some coalition of, of, of forces. Uh, you know, uh, uh, alliance of, of different countries would have to go in and essentially occupy Gaza in perpetuity in order to do this. I mean, I'm telling you, that's what counterinsurgency is. And so this worries the hell out of me because it means that there are people, high ranking people in this country talking about Israel occupying Gaza in the long term. Now, look, if Israel wants to do that, I don't believe that they do, which is why they're hell bent on eradicating Hamas. But it, if, 
Israel ain't going to have the combat power to do it. And you know who's going to have to fill those gaps? You mark my words. It, this is what I'm deathly afraid of is American troops finding their way over there. It just scares me. They don't belong anywhere near Gaza. They don't belong anywhere near involved in a counterinsurgency operation in Gaza. Uh, that is not our role. That is not our mission. That is not our, our conflict. And obviously, it was not effective at all in in Iraq or Afghanistan. And frankly, counterinsurgency operations, they they need to go on the ash heap of history because they just they just are not effective. It's not effective at all. And I just had to tell you about that because I feel like nobody else is talking about it. And General Petraeus has given speeches on it today. So, OK, let me get into this next part, uh, this next part of the show. It's about uh, the covid response. I really think it's it's beyond time uh, for us to start holding some of these COVID tyrants accountable. The fact that they haven't been held accountable is something that really, really bothers bothers me. Um, there's this article out. Um, I got this on Vigilant News. Vigilant News is is you know the editor in chief of Vigilant News. You can go to their their website. is is Vigilant Fox. He's got one of the most popular and viral Twitter accounts or X accounts out there. He is at the forefront of all of this, this COVID tyranny, but Vigilant News is from a site where he's the editor-in-chief. Um, but there's this new study out saying that the unvaccinated were scapegoated for failure of COVID vaccines, okay? A new study published, I'm reading from it now, a new study published in the Journal of Medical Ethics, okay, found that unvaccinated people were unfairly scapegoated during the pandemic. Yeah, newsflash, we all know. Um, remember Joe Biden out there saying, oh, it's gonna, if, if there's an outbreak, it's going to be it's going to be because of the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated are going to they're going to experience a dark winter, the winter of death. They're all going to die. Remember all that? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Biden. And so the, the article goes on. <laughs> Sorry for getting away from it. This is, however, what we found to be missing was an was an address to misinformation and the consequences stemming from overestimating the threat. Consider, for instance, how in 2020, more than 30% of Americans believe that a COVID infection led to a 50% chance of hospitalization. It never did, nor was there ever evidence to suggest it might. Left-leaning individuals tended to overestimate COVID harms to a greater degree than conservatives. Well, no shit, Sherlock. Of course, we all know that's to be true. If anybody that lived through it and could think for themselves knew that they were that they were going after conservatives, that they were that they were attacking conservatives, because we're more likely to think for ourselves. And and by the way, we question the narrative. We don't just buy into things hook, line, and sinker. A lot of a lot of people did, but the people who watched this show guarantee you we did not. Um, so the study goes on. The truth is, of course, was that COVID, the COVID vaccine did not work and did not prevent any transmission. And after a month or two past vaccinations, uh, after a month or two past vaccinations, it made the vaccinated more likely to be infected. <laughs> so, I mean, however, the impact of the media's fear mongering was all encompassing. 35% of adults believed that half of COVID infections required hospitalization. Now, that is a staggering number. Okay, but the study goes, it's not just the study. There's another study that came out that talked about masks. Now, look, they lied to us about masks. Fauci lied to us about masks. Everybody lied to us about masks. And in fact, uh, you don't have to be a genius to know that. Remember when there were wild wildfires uh, in Canada? 
and the CDC released a graphic saying that, oh, you can't wear a paper mask because they showed the smoke molecule and then they showed the viral particle that's even smaller than that, saying that a paper mask wouldn't protect you from smoke, but a virus is smaller. So if it doesn't protect against smoke, how would it protect against the virus? But listen, they forced masks on people. They made them mandatory. They made our children wear them. In fact, it, it, it was it got so bad that the mask actually became a symbol of compliance. And I am telling you, I still pee, I still see people today everywhere I go wearing these masks. In fact, in Massachusetts, you can drive down the road and you can say, oh, masks are required indoors. But this new study, again, like none of these, these shit libs, right? They don't care about the science. They don't care about thinking for themselves. They just care about obeying the narrative, the Democrat narrative. And, and they could tell them to, they could tell them to do anything and they would likely do it. But this, this study from Norway, you're not going to believe this. Look, I got the, I'll, I'll roll the tape and then we'll discuss it. Go ahead, go ahead and check this out. Among the people who never or almost never wore masks, 8.6% of them tested positive for COVID. Among people who sometimes use masks, that number rose to 15%. And then among the people who either almost always or always wore masks, 15.1% of them tested positive for COVID. Now, when these researchers went back, crunched the numbers and adjusted the data based on several different factors, such as vaccination status, sex, gender, and so on, they found that, quote, individuals who sometimes or often wore masks had a 33% higher incidence of COVID-19 compared to those who never or almost never wore masks. This jumped up to 40% among people who almost always or always wore them, which is a wild finding. People who almost always or always wore masks were 40% more likely to catch COVID versus people who never wore masks at all. So did you hear that? If you wore a mask, you were more likely to get sick from COVID. I mean, let me repeat that here for a second. Adjustments for various factors revealed a 33 to 40% elevated infection rate in regular mask wearers, although further adjustments suggested a more moderate 4%, a more moderate, uh, modest 4% increase. The end result, even with all of these other factors weighed in, you wore a mask, you were more likely to get COVID. And yet you weren't even allowed to question that narrative. And the people that they controlled this narrative, not only just entr were entrenched bureaucrats, of course there were elected officials, right? Democrat and Republican, but they were entrenched bureaucrats. Somehow we ceded control of this country to entr entrenched bureaucrats. And look, I get it. When you're in the thick of things, you don't know how dangerous COVID was. You want to operate out of an abundance of caution. COVID is most certainly real. It it targets, you know, people with pre-existing conditions, especially the elderly. I, I'm not saying that any of that is not true. I, and I and I'm even I can even give people a grace period where we're in the thick of it, trying to come up with a vaccine, trying to implement policies to to protect people. I get all that. I'm giving you grace there. But today. There should never be a sign out there, you know, saying that masks are mandatory inside. In fact, the CDC and, and all these news agencies are out there talking about us masking up again. The director of the CDC just released a video statement saying just that. But this study says that you're more likely to get COVID. And the greatest COVID tyrants like Fauci 
my God, I saw this video of Fauci this this weekend, and and this guy just triggers me for a lot of reasons, just because he is the biggest. He is a dangerous, dangerous man. He is a lying, dangerous demagogue, and. I saw him talking about religion this weekend. I don't know if you saw this this clip, but he talked about how he's a Catholic. I'm a Catholic too. Uh, But he talked about the reason why he doesn't go to church, but you just got to watch it. Just try not to let your IQ diminish by 10 points watching it. Go ahead and check this out and roll the tape. There's Don Green Chapel where Chris and I were That's where you were married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really nice. Do you still go there? Do you, no. st- you don't practice no, anymore, do you? I don't, no. Why? Ah, uh, a number of complicated reasons. Go on. <laughs> we have a whole corridor. <laughs> I, I, first of all, I, I think my own personal ethics on life are, I think, enough to keep me going on the right path. And I think that the, there are enough negative aspects about the organizational church. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you were very well aware of. I, I'm not against it. I identify myself as a Catholic. I was raised, I was baptized, I was confirmed, I was married in the church. My children were baptized in the church. But as far as practicing it, it seems almost like a pro forma thing that I don't really need to do. <laughs> so wait, practicing a religion, believing in something greater than yourself, believing in God seems like a pro forma thing that he doesn't really need to do because Fauci, according to him is the embodiments of science. And he's just so committed to life and the preservation of life. that He just doesn't need that pesky organized religion. Why? Why? Because Fauci sees himself as God, the guy folks, I'm telling you, This is a dangerous, dangerous dynamic where you have entrenched bureaucrats believing their own crap so much that they don't even believe that they need any organized religion. And you're talking about a guy that, look, this guy enriched himself, made millions of dollars while we, the people, lost everything. You think that there's not a war going on in this country. (laughs) <laughs> where people don't necessarily have your best interests at heart. Look at what they did. If you don't believe me or you're watching Facebook or you're like, you know, a journalist, some shit lib journalist out there that thinks that I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist, just look what they did during COVID. They split up families. They forced your loved one to die alone when they knew that COVID would, would spread like wildfire through nursing home facilities. They shunted old folks into those facilities knowing they would die. That's someone's mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. And not only did our health officials know that, you look at Richard Levine, who was the health secretary here in Pennsylvania. He knew that it was going to destroy and run rampant through old folk, old folks' homes. But he moved, he removed his own mother. Why? Because he knew that COVID would likely kill, kill her because she was elderly. And not only that, they they closed your business. They, they, they bankrupted you. They didn't care if, if your business was, was, was how you made a living. The government forced you to close your business. And moreover, they threatened you if you, dare, if you dared to keep it open. They threatened you with fines. They threatened your liquor license. And very few people stood up to this. And not only that, 
we're starting to learn. We're starting to learn things that happened during the pandemic that were unbelievably concerning. Like, I don't know if you all know this, but you know that Fauci met with the CIA prior to uh, implementing some of the harshest COVID policies on this country, on this country, and on on the American people. Did you know that? You would think that something like this would be all over the media, just to make sure that collusion between the deep state and, and, and the CIA never happened again, especially as it pertained to hurting the American people, to implementing domestic policies. These, these policies in the wake of COVID were extreme. But like you'd think that that would be headline news, but it hasn't been. Watch Rand Paul talk about this. A sitting United States senator on with Maria Bartiromo talking about Fauci meeting with the CIA. Who influenced who? I don't know because no one in the media will ask questions about it. Go ahead and check this out. Well, for probably more deaths than other any other individual in the medical world. Well, I mean, there was so much censorship of so much information that was vital for Americans to see and understand about COVID and about the vaccines. But they censored it. Can we even trust health officials in this government? Well, you know, it was directed explicitly by him. We go over this in the book because he commissioned scientists who were saying in private that they thought it was a manipulated virus, manipulated in a lab and came from a lab. He convinced them in public to say the opposite. He commissioned and edited a paper that said that absolutely this did not come from a lab. While privately, all of these same scientists were saying in all likelihood it did come from a lab. So there really was an orchestrated cover up on this. We also now know that he was visiting the CIA in early 2020. We know that the CIA scientists, seven of them, voted six to one to say it came from the lab. And then they were reversed by superiors. We need to know whether Anthony Fauci influenced the superiors or perhaps the opposite. Did the CIA influence Anthony Fauci? But we also need to know how often he was visiting and what he was there for. Our understanding is that he wasn't recorded on visitor logs, but he was appearing frequently at the CIA. You have to realize that he was not a scientist in charge of a cure for cancer. He was also in charge of a lot of bioweapons money and in charge of a lot of things that had dual use. And they won't reveal any of this to us. They had weekly meetings on dangerous dual use research concerns and gain of function. And not one item of any of those meetings has been released to us, despite us asking for it for over three years. Do you believe? Folks, what is happening? This is crazy. So that's a sitting U.S. senator. It's not some crazy dude on the side of the street holding a, the end is near sign. This is a sitting U.S. senator. One, Frankly, a, a U.S. senator that I, I greatly admire that is not afraid to speak out against the Republican establishment, especially as it pertains to sending American soldiers to war. I mean, Rand Paul is 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 fairly libertarian in this regard. But here he is, his access to secret information that you and I don't have access to, where he's saying that that Anthony Fauci met with the CIA not once, but multiple times, that those visits were kept off of the, the official logs to keep them secret. Rand Paul does not have the answers to, to the question of who influenced the CIA position to say that covid didn't come from a lab. Was it Fauci influencing the CIA or the CIA leverage and influence Fauci? We don't know. I mean, look, 99% of the time, I'd say it's probably the CIA pushing Anthony Fauci to do something. But Anthony Fauci was tied up in all this, as Rand Paul mentioned. It's not as simple as that because Anthony Fauci was in charge of all of these bioweapons programs as well. 
we know today that U.S. taxpayer dollars funded the lab in Wuhan, that that COVID likely leaked from that lab, killed millions of people. Don't you want to know who might be responsible for that? How how is how every newspaper in this country isn't writing about this is is beyond me. And it just speaks to to the the dangerous times that we live in. You think back to how I led in the show with the cyber attack on Rumble. Folks, something bad is going to happen. I know I've only got a couple minutes left in the show, but I'm just going to keep rolling for a little while longer because I missed Friday. But something bad is going to happen. I feel it. I think most of you all do too. Because it's like you look at the 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 path of escalation with use Trump as an example and all the ways that they tried to get him. The the left and these powerful information brokers in our government, the deep state, whatever, they call them whatever you want. They've tried everything and nothing has worked. What's next? You know, I, I don't know. But you look at what like some of these very powerful people did to you know, professional athletes, celebrities, people who do to question the narrative, use their public profile to question the narrative at a time where we needed it most. We needed these people to stand up. Hell, we needed every celebrity to stand up, but very few did. Almost no one did. I mean, the, the tennis champion, uh, uh, tennis champion Novak Dvorak. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm not a big tennis fan, uh, but Dvorak, um, he was on 60 Minutes talking about. This just this scenario about how the the media, these very powerful entities the world over made this man out to be a criminal. They actually deported this guy from Australia after he got an exemption to play in a tennis tournament there. Australia deported him. And he was one of the few that spoke up, spoke up and spoke out against the vaccine, against vaccine mandates. Uh, but l- like, listen to him on 60 Minutes talking about his perspective on the vaccine. He's not backing down. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were not against vaccination. You just did not want it for yourself. Exactly. People try to, you know, declare me as an anti-vax. I'm not anti-vax. No, I'm pro- pro-vax. I'm, I'm, I'm pro-freedom to choose. I mean, kudos to, to people like Dvorak who stood up to this insanity, stood up to these threats to our freedom. I think people like him, you know, while not truly appreciated in our time, I think future generations will come to appreciate the stand that he took because so few people stood up. And, and Jim, Jim Brewer is another one. He's a, a, a Saturday Live comedian, which is funny because I've talked before about how some of the 80s and 90s Saturday Night Live comedians I mean, they're not conservatives in the sense that that you and I are. Maybe Jim Brewer is. I don't know. The, uh, many of these guys are probably more liberal than I'd like, but these are these folks are a hell of a lot conservative than 99.9% of the Hollywood celebrities that you see today. What's crazy about the Hollywood celebrities is they would have you believe that they are that that they think for themselves that you know they don't rage they don't rage for the machine they rage against the machine well now we live in a world where rage against the machine just rages for the machine they're out there trying to convince people that vaccine mandates are good all these people are just government bootlickers uh but jim brewer is one that stood up as well and here he is talking about what i was talking to you about there is a war going on in this country between good and evil 
There is a spiritual war. It's happening. And, and I feel bad for Jim in this clip because he's talking about even his family's talking, talking about him like he's a conspiracy theorist or a crazy person, but he's one of the few that stood up. And my point is, we should celebrate these people who stood up when we needed them most, but hold accountable these shit libs like Fauci who, who would throw you in, in jail if you didn't get the vax, if he could, if he could wave a magic wand, he would unquestionably do that to you and your family. He didn't care about you. We should hold those people accountable. But watch Jim Brewer talking about the insanity and the war that's going on all around us that most people don't even realize is happening. Check this out. You had mayors, despicable, disgusting. They're not human. They're disgusting. And they should be held accountable. All of them. Every single last one of them. Every mayor, every governor that shamed you, terrorized you, tore your family apart, made you lose your job, divided everybody. That was the most disgusting display of humanity. And these are the people that are controlling my life and your life that they're taking my money from and doing whatever they want with it. I don't have a choice where my taxes go. That time... That's how I saw it. I saw it as a complete takeover. And in, in my own house, you know, these kids are all indoctrinated. So the kids are like, dad's crazy. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, your father's putting up. And I, I saw what they were going through. I had nieces. You know, I had my daughter come up to me and a niece that I love said, uh, dad, is everything cool because... Everyone thinks you're, you know, mm -hmm. you're making wacky videos. I felt we're at war. A hundred percent. This is war, however you want to describe it. It's a war on your common sense. It's a war on the control of your life. It's the war on your spirituality. It's the war of your conscience and your mind. And it's not a game. It's real. Unfortunately, humanity doesn't believe that evil exists and boy does it exist it does and you'd be horrified when you realize where they're all located and i'm not sure some people can handle that but i think the ones that can are very ready very ready they're done i think that's pretty powerful stuff from him this is again a Saturday Night Live comedian. He's a stand-up comedian. He's pretty damn funny as it is, but he had the courage to speak out when very few did. And I'll tell you what, kudos to, to my wife, Commander Melanie. She's amazing. She never, ever, ever once complied with his insanity. She did not back down to anyone. She did. I mean, I'm telling you, he saw her for, I mean, she's one of the strongest people on the face of the planet. To where all these people were bending over backwards to comply with the government. You look back on those moments, and it was really hard because, you know, for your whole life, you want to believe that the government is looking out for you and telling and telling the truth. But the reality is she never bought it, not even from the from the from the first bit of propaganda that started streaming out of these these bureaucrats like Deborah Burks and Fauci. She said to me, and, and this is right in the middle of, of when I was running for Congress, she said, if we relinquish these freedoms now, we will likely never get them back. And she's 100% right. She's in, she's in, I group her in with people like Jim Brewer and, and Dvorak, uh, 
these people are made. And all of you, I'm sure, agree with everything that I'm saying. At least I hope so. Um, if you're here and you're watching the show, you likely do. We we watch this show because you probably we all think the same way. I'm sure that there are some shit libs in the audience who are going to write negative things about me, and I get that too, and that's okay. Uh, this is America. We're all entitled to our own opinions. But I got to get to that. I know we're over time here, but I missed the show on Friday. But I've got to get to the fact that our enemies are on the move, and very few people are even talking about it. Um if we have that video, Brock, and we throw it, there's no sound to it, but it's a video of, uh, yeah, look at that. That Those are 100 Chinese maritime militia ships. They have a maritime militia uh, cordoning off the Whitson Reef in the exclusive economic zone of the Philippines, blocking access to Filipino fishermen who've been working there for decades. What I'm showing you there is a video of, of China, and they are about to seize foreign territory in the South China Sea. I want to show you this next video of something that China did today. And maybe this cyber attack on Rumble is related to this. But look at what China did to this country just today. Go ahead and roll the tape. Post reveals hackers affiliated with China's People's Liberation Army have infiltrated critical services here in the U.S. Alexandra Hoff joins us now from our nation's capital. Alex, this is not good. No, it's not. I mean, this infiltration appears to be part of a broader effort to insert chaos into our logistical systems. The information collected could then be weaponized if the U.S. and China were to become engaged directly in the Pacific. According to reporting from The Washington Post, citing multiple U.S. and industry security officials, China's cyber army, army is invading critical U.S. services, like an attempt to break into the system behind Texas's independent power grid. Other victims include a water utility in Hawaii, a West Coast port, and at least one oil and gas pipeline according to that report you're seeing there. Brandon Wells, executive director of the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity Agency, told The Washington Post this, quote, It is very clear that Chinese attempts to compromise critical infrastructure are in part to pre-position themselves to be able to disrupt or destroy that critical infrastructure in the event of a conflict to either prevent the United States from being able to project power into Asia or to cause societal chaos inside the United States to affect our decision-making around a crisis. The report notes that over the past year, hackers affiliated with the People's Liberation Army in China have accessed the computer systems of about two dozen critical entities. So there you have it. China, not only are they about to seize foreign territory in the South China Sea, they're also conducting cyber attacks here in this country. And I'm telling you all this because we are so focused. This Our government, our intelligence agencies are so focused on going after Trump and attacking political enemies that don't necessarily agree with the narrative that we are missing other things, that our intelligence agencies who were created with the intention of protecting we the people are now distracted by attacking the people by attacking people who don't agree with the narrative being forced on us and things are slipping through the cracks. And what's interesting about all of this is this a couple things. The Obamas came out with this new documentary on Netflix. Michelle and Barack Obama actually produced this documentary uh, and it's and it's interesting, but I want to play this World Economic Forum video from a few years ago that is that that talks about a cyber pandemic, okay? And what the next phase of of maybe 
this potential operation. This is not a conspiracy theory. I'm putting on my military commander here, the hat here now. I just showed you that China is on the move in the South, in the, uh, the, in the South China Sea. They're about to seize foreign territory there. I just showed you how China conducted a cyber attack on critical U.S. infrastructure today. Look at what the World Economic Forum put out just a couple of years ago. Roll this tape. Is shaking our economies and societies to the core and shown us how vulnerable we are to biological threats. In the digital world, similar risks are being overlooked right now. A cyber attack with COVID like characteristics would spread faster and further than any biological virus. Its reproductive rate would be around 10 times greater than what we've experienced with the coronavirus. To give you an idea, one of the fastest worms in history, the 2003 Slammer Sapphire Worm, doubled in size approximately every 8.5 seconds, infecting over 75,000 devices in 10 minutes and almost 11 million devices in 24 hours. Fortunately, at least until now, cyber attacks have not impacted our health the way pandemics have, but the economic damages and therefore the impact they have had on our daily lives have been equal and sometimes even greater. You see, the only way to stop the exponential propagation of a COVID-like cyber threat is to fully disconnect the millions of vulnerable devices from one another and from the internet. All of this in a matter of days. A single day without the internet would cost our economies more than 50 billion US dollars. And that's before considering the economic and societal damages should these devices be linked to essential services, such as transport or healthcare. As the digital realm increasingly merges with our physical world, the ripple effects of cyber attacks on our safety just keep on expanding at a faster pace than what we're preparing for. COVID-19 was known as an anticipated risk. So is the digital equivalent. Let's be better prepared for that one. The time is now. Oh, oh great. A, 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 a cyber attack like COVID. I mean, didn't they already kind of do a dry run for how they would react to all that? Like maybe they would lock us down again. Of course, they disconnect all our all of our all of our devices. Uh, it would be devastating to our economies. I'm sure that they would use that to to force some uh, security measures and get us to relinquish our freedoms, freedoms that we would likely never get back in the first place. We talked about what would be I, I have a feeling not just me, but there are other people out there like Dan Bongino and other people who are actually in the know in the U.S. government that think that a there is a there is a, a bad thing coming in 2024. I mean, with all the other bad things coming, like inflation and pending economic collapse and Biden at the helm and China on the move and Iran funding the Houthi rebels and Hamas and the threat of asymmetric terror and our southern border. I mean, there's a million to one in threats right now. Everybody knows something is coming, especially if you've got your ear to the ground and you're thinking for yourself. Wasn't it interesting that the Obamas released this uh, this movie on Netflix that talks about, yep, you guessed it, the collapse of America in the wake of a cyber attack. <laughs> Just so watch this trailer. And I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of it. But watch this before before we do before we part ways today. Check this out. So sorry to bother you. You must be Amanda. Why did you come here? In my line of work, you have to understand the patterns that govern the world. It can help you see the future. And I knew something was coming. 
don't understand. What do you mean? We are seeing ongoing cyber attacks across the country. The truth is much scarier. What is the truth? We're going to be okay, right? Aren't you the one who always said, if you're not paranoid by now, it's too late? Haven't you been picking up on what's going on out there? We've all been deserted. There is no going back to normal. Okay, so yeah, Netflix produced by Barack Obama and Michelle Obama. Why is an ex-American president? Why, why, why are they even producing something like this? I, I don't get it. Um, but it turns out uh, in the movie, the way that this works is it was an all-out attack using a three-stage maneuver to topple a government uh, from within that ended with bombs dropping in cities. Uh, the first phase is disable all communications and transportations, making people deaf, dumb, and paralyzed, and then synchronize chaos, terrorize with covert attacks and disinformation, no clear enemy, and then eventually a, a coup d'etat, civil war, and collapse. Now, isn't it interesting that we all have a sense that something's coming? China is on the move. Our enemies are on the move. I, we even had a, a water facility in Aliquippa in Western Pennsylvania that was hacked by the Iranians. China just penetrated with a cyber attack critical U.S. infrastructure today. The WEF a few years ago <laughs> said, oh, my God, well, the pandemic was bad. But what if there was a cyber attack that was worse than pandemic? What would we do then? I mean, and then the Obamas released it. I mean, is it all related? I don't know. I have no idea. But you look at what happened in the wake of the COVID pandemic and the freedoms that we relinquished and in many cases did not get back. And the propaganda that was foisted on all of us. I mean, do you trust anything the government says? Do you? I mean, could all this be related? Is a cyber attack in our future? It sure as hell seems like it. It sure, sure as hell seems like there are a lot of people out there saying that it could be. And so that's why I want to tell you, folks, you've got to be, you've got to continue to think for yourselves. You can't remain quiet. Tell your family, tell your friends to be prepared. You know, I mean, I look, Tucker Carlson just released this Tucker Carlson network or some streaming service. He recognizes these threats as well, that the media, corporate media, the mainstream media, they lie to you every single day. They don't tell you the truth. Do not put the lives of your family and your friends in their hands. Do not rely on them for truth. Do not rely on them for anything. You know, the one man that's standing up to all of this, I mean this, it, the one man is, is Trump. I mean, we're all doing it in our own ways. But Trump's entire platform is saving us from this insanity. It, say, establishing American sovereignty. Sealing off the border, celebrating our military, hardening our cyber systems and building up our military, actually defeating our enemies, not through endless wars, but by destroying them should they mess with us. Trump is, man, he's already done it. The deep state is still after him to this day, and he's still running for president despite all of that. 
So look, I, I get it. Like, it's easier to put your head in the sand about a lot of these things. I get it. It's easier to think that, hey, 2024 will be better than 2023. That's how we're wired as Americans. We watch that ball drop on New Year's Eve and we say, oh, uh, you know, let's all the bad stuff that happened in 2023, I'm going to forget about it. It's going to be a clean slate in 2024. Can't afford to operate like that anymore. Yeah, I'm not so sure. You can't sit there and say that 2024 this entire country's on the line in 2024. I believe that. You believe that. There are millions of Americans who believe that. You can't have it. If you believe that, then you also have to know that it could get exponentially worse before it gets better. And I want you to make sure sure that you're ready. And that's going to look different for everybody. But be prepared. And... Ah, sorry, I went over time. <laughs> you know, I'm 618. I could do the show for two hours, but we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, and again, sorry I missed the show on Friday. That's completely on me. It will not happen again. We'll be streaming on my public Facebook page. Learn to st- probably learn to stream on, I don't know if we'll stream on Twitter, but we'll definitely stream on, on Getter, which is another conservative app. Um, we're going to make sure, we're going to make sure that that you always have access to this show because this show is and will always be for you. I won't let you down like I did on Friday. If you made it through the full hour, make sure that, well, over an hour, make sure that you like and rumble, like and rumble, like and rumble. That matters. That little green thumb beneath this video, make sure you like that. Share this podcast. It's not a podcast anymore. We're doing a live show now, but share the show with your friends, with your family. Again, it's a show that is and will always be for you. Thank you for being in the trenches with me tonight. We will see you tomorrow night at 5 p.m. sharp. God bless you all. And God bless this exceptional nation we call home. We have to fight for this country. The fate of this country rests with all of us. So I'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you. Take care. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.